This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. So if anyone's inclined to do that, I know we're Presbyterian, um, and it's not in our nature to do that. But as a Presbyterian, you can actually say amen or like preach it or yeah, or just give me like a hand pump. Anything like that would be very encouraging. Thank you, Steve, Luke, um, throughout the whole thing. So maybe we can practice while I'm reading the scripture. Um, because after all, the passage is really the, the, the most important thing that I'm going to say. So this is, um, this is from Romans 7. This is the Word of God. And uh, let's stay seated uh, for this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it's not printed in your bulletin, but if you have a phone or something like that, you can look on and read along with me or just listen to the Word of God. Uh, Paul says... So am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, if the law, it was the law that showed me my sin, and I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used the commandment to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, Sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law that is good bring death to me? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terribly sinful sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law. The law is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Amen. I'm not alone in that. Paul's not alone in that. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong, 
It is sin living in me that does it. And I think that's the really good news of the passage. So I'm going to read that again. I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. That's good news. And I know that nothing good lives in me that isn't my sinful nature because I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing the wrong, but sin living in me is doing it. So I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Good news. So you see how good it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so a really, really complicated passage uh, about morality and our relationship with the law of God. And if you want to know what the law of God is, it's basically the Ten Commandments. But we read earlier in that passage that we read about um, our affirmation of faith, the law is summed up by love God and love your neighbor. It's very simple, love God and love your neighbor. And when most people think about moral education, whether that's training as a disciple or training a student or a young child, when you think about moral education, our go-to, our default setting is to think that if you teach someone the law, if you teach your child the law, uh, if you put posters of that up in your house, you sing songs about that, um, if you train disciples by telling them, here's what the law is, and if you just keep this habitually, then you're going to find out that you'll, you'll end up doing it. That's our go-to default setting about how we do moral education, um, that we have the strength of will to do what is right if we know what is right. I mean, isn't that our normal way of thinking about the law? And yet, Paul is saying here, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that you can do that. Um, that is called in church history the Pelagian heresy. And it's very popular in the church that if you just know what is right, then you can do it because you have a strong enough will to do it. You might need a little help from your friends or with a little bit of education, but basically you can do it. But Paul says, verse 18, I want to do what is right, but I can't. This is Paul the apostle as a Christian, uh, far more advanced in discipleship than any of us here. And in verse 21, he says, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And this is the problem of the weak will. Our wills are bent in the wrong direction. They're all messed up. They are always tending towards what is wrong. And so Paul says, not only can you not keep the law, but in fact, the law backfires and the law makes you wanna break it. It's not just that you can't keep the law, that the law provokes you to sin. So I wanna look at two things here. Number one, the law, and basically verse eight, sin used the commandment, and the commandment he's talking about there is thou shalt not covet. 
which is probably the most subtle of the Ten Commandments. It's the last commandment. It's the most subtle commandment. It's the most invisible commandment. And Paul says that that commandment, when you tell someone, don't covet that, that's going to arouse covetousness inside of them, whether you're a child or you're an adult. So that's the first thing. That's the bad news, is that the law actually backfires. The second thing, which is the good news, is that the Holy Spirit can come into your life and actually make you love the law. Amen. Amen. Not just keep the law, but love the law, delight in the law, enjoy the law, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that's the two points. Uh, first of all, the law. Verse 10 says, the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Um, what does he mean by the law is supposed to bring life? Well, the law is the instruction manual for what a human being is supposed to do. So if you have your instruction manual for your car or whatever gadget you have, and it tells you the way that you operate, the vehicle, the machine, if you follow those instructions, then it's going to operate well. If you put in gas in the right place and oil in the right place and you get the tires rotating, all those things, it's going to have life. The car's going to have life. Um, it's like the when you buy a little plant. I never read the little thing on the plant. They always stick a plastic thing in the plant. You know what I mean when you buy a plant? And it says something like, this plant requires shade. Don't put too much water in this plant. Um, whatever it says on those things, I never read those, and that's probably why a lot of my plants die. But you've got to follow the law that is written on the heart in order for the machine to flourish or the plant to grow. And if you, if you don't lie, as the commandments say, if you, if you rest 24 hours a week, um, really, really rest, and not just do work on the side, but if you really rest one day in seven, and you can do that, I mean, it's possible to do that. If you honor your parents, if you stop being lustful, if you don't commit adultery, if you stop hating people and calling them fools and wanting to murder people, and if you stop coveting, of course, if you do all these things, then you're going to come to life. If a society does these things, it's going to come to life. These are good things. Uh, the law's commands are supposed to bring life, right? But what Paul says is um, it backfires. And instead of bringing life, it brings death. And you say, you know, how can that be? And he says, um, verse 9, at one time I lived without understanding the law. And that's probably when he was a child, maybe before his bar mitzvah, 12, 10, I don't know when, the age, before the age of accountability or whenever, you know, before teenage years. He didn't know the law. But when he learned the law, somewhere in his teens maybe, then suddenly the power of sin came to life in him. Not that he had not sinned before that, but when he learned about sin, he actually found himself wanting to sin. When he was told by his parents and his rabbi, uh, Paul, you cannot covet. You cannot want these things too much. You cannot want what your neighbor has. It actually made him want to covet. And so when you, if you have a child, um, or if you were a child, and that applies to everybody here, um, there were, if you're told you cannot have that cookie, 
That cookie is for later or for your guest. What do you want to do? You want to eat that cookie. That's the very cookie you want. There might be 100 cookies in the house, and you want that cookie because your parents said you can't have that cookie. Um, same thing applies later in life. If I do premarital counseling and I tell the couple, you know, there's certain physical boundaries. You know what I'm talking about? There are these boundaries, and you, you shouldn't cross that boundary. You know, whether it's holding hands or kissing or whatever it is, shouldn't be holding hands, uh, probably shouldn't be kissing, but whatever the boundary is, if I give them a boundary, they want to cross that boundary. And they'll tell me that. Like right when you told us that boundary, we wanted to cross that boundary. And I've even heard of couples who once they got married and they didn't have the boundary, they didn't want to cross it as much anymore. <laughs> That's a crazy illustration, but when people get married and they can do anything they want physically, oftentimes the desire goes down because they don't have that boundary anymore that they can't cross. That's how perverse human beings are. It's just a fact of life. God says, you can eat of any tree in the whole garden, any of these good trees, and they taste better than this tree, but you can't have that tree. And then what do Adam and Eve want to do? They want to eat that tree. Because whenever you lay down any kind of rule or law against the human will, we want to break it. We want to cross it. We want to be the arbiter of right and wrong. We want to be our own God. And so beware of the way that you raise your children or the way you teach your classes or the way that you are a boss, the way that you care for anyone under your authority. Because if you press the law too hard as your main way of trying to control behavior, it's not going to work. And I've even seen this with the COVID restrictions, which are great and very important. And all the signs that say, wear your mask, um, keep distance, those are important things. And there is one use of the law where it, in society, it does help to restrain evil by having these things. But I have also noticed that sometimes just having that sign, I, I notice people say that makes them want to break that. That just seeing that kind of makes them like get angry or something. Like they're angry that that sign is there. And I've, I've even noticed this with like zero, uh, you know, zero tolerance, uh, tolerance policies about racism, which are very important, should be there. But even those zero tolerance policies sometimes provoke inside of people a desire to rebel against that and to be racist. And so, like I said, these are important things, these policies, these signs, disciplining your children. But just know this, that they do not have the power to change the heart. They're important, amen, but they don't change the heart. And so if you have, I, I noticed this when we had teenagers, if you say, you know, you've got to bring, bring your bring your food into the kitchen and clean your own plate, that often makes them want to do that le less. Or if you say, you've got to be home by midnight or you've got to finish that work, you've got to get that test done. Again, I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but it's so important to know that when you say those things, especially with a certain tone of voice, it's gonna make them want to break those things. So that's the first point, is the law does not have the power in itself to help us to keep the law because we're too perverse. We desire to break the law. Uh, the second point is the spirit. And the spirit is the good news here. Um, sometimes people think that the Holy Spirit, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned in the passage. His work is mentioned in the passage. So I'm 
bold enough to say the Spirit, even though he's not mentioned in the passage, but his work is evident in the passage. And uh, some people will say that when the Spirit comes into your life, then at that point, the struggle with sin ends. And um, it's kind of like uh, VE Day, if you know World War II, and when the Allies defeated the Axis powers, there was that scene in Times Square, famous photograph where that, um, that soldier, I think it was a, in the Navy, uh, is kissing that just random stranger, that nurse. He's kind of kissing her like that um, because he's so excited the war is over. And people think that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he ends the war with sin. And I wish that were true. Um, but actually, it's exactly the opposite of that. That when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he doesn't end the battle. He actually begins the battle. So it's not like VE Day. It's like D-Day, which was a year earlier, when, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, you know when those, those troops like come out of those big boats and they open up and they come flooding onto the beaches of Normandy? That's like the Holy Spirit invading our lives. And if we're part of the empire, that's like the Spirit coming into the Nazi empire and taking over land, like a beachhead. You know, Omaha Beach, he takes that part of us over. And so the Spirit doesn't end the war, he begins the war. And he begins to make us want to follow God and to want to stop sinning. And um, it's almost like, another to, to quote another movie, if you've seen The Matrix, uh, at the beginning of that movie, Anderson, uh, Mr. Anderson, Kano Reeves, Neo, he's very comfortable living in this system um, where everything is going well. And he feels, uh, he feels really good about things. Life feels normal, feels good. He's very comfortable. Status quo is good. And then all of a sudden, you know, he takes the blue pill or the red pill or whatever the pill is, and then he goes down the rabbit hole and he realizes he's part of this massive struggle against these evil machines, this system out there that's horrible, that's enslaving us. And when the spirit comes into our life, that's what happens. He breaks up our um, satisfied ignorance with uh, systemic evil, among other things. You know, the word woke, basically just means you are aware now of systemic evil, whether that be racism or sexism or classism or the violence in our country. Um, that's what it means for the spirit to come into your life, is you, you're aware of suddenly this system of evil that you're a part of. And, um, and so the spirit creates a new unrest in you. Um, he creates uh, a new desire for good inside of you and to fight for what is right. And so in verse 15, uh, Paul says, I don't understand myself anymore for I want to do what is right now. And I think what he's saying is he's surprised by this desire to do what is right that is inside of him. This, uh, this new hunger to do what is right inside of him. And I know at my conversion, I don't know how many of you um, became Christians later in life. But I know when I became a Christian, I had lived 21 years uh, as a non-believer, and I, I found it more difficult uh, to curse. I've mentioned that before, but I, I felt like, why can't I curse? Why can't I use certain words I used to, to use on the basketball court? Or why is it harder now for me to spend all my money on myself and not give some away? Why do I have this new desire to be generous? Like something was living inside of me that was new. And why can't I hate my enemy? Like I used to just enjoy hating my enemy, 
and now I actually feel like I should reconcile with them. Or lust, I can't enjoy that as much anymore. What's going on inside of me? And last week I compared this to toothpaste. Did I don't know if that illustration worked. Somebody said that helped them, but if you uh, remember what I said, like if you brush your teeth before breakfast, it, it always goes wrong because the orange juice and the eggs and the cereal are not gonna taste as good when you when you've brushed your teeth. So a Christian still sins. It's not that we don't sin anymore, but it's that sin doesn't taste as good anymore because we've got this new stuff in our mouth and we just can't enjoy it the same way. And so uh, suddenly when the spirit comes into your life, and again, I don't know what that was like in your life. It could have been at a very young age, but the spirit makes us want to obey God's law. In verse 25, in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. That is not a natural thing for humans to say. And I could go into this in great detail, but there are a lot of debates about whether this is written by Paul the Christian or Paul the non-Christian. And just think about that yourself. I mean, think about, do you think that Paul the non-Christian could write this about himself? Or is this more likely Paul the Christian writing about his current struggle as a Christian? And I think it's very important to the very nature of the gospel that we believe that this is Paul as a Christian himself saying, I can't do what I want to do, um, but I have this new desire inside of myself to do what is right. Um, and, and the amazing thing is that Paul says in verse 22, I love the law of God in my heart. I mean, can a, can a person who's not a Christian really say that? Not just that I am trying to keep the law, or I'm really knuckling down to do my duty, which is the law, uh, but I actually am enjoying the law of God. I mean, you might, you might not realize how, how amazing that is if you feel that way. If you have a desire to do what is like, if you love the law in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. You can't fake that. Uh, you, you can't just make that happen by willpower. But um, <clears throat> David himself, uh, King David said, the law to me is in Psalm 19. He says, the law is like candy. It's like honey. It's sweeter than the honeycomb, he says. Uh, it's like my favorite dessert. I love the law. There's nothing I want in my life more, my real self, than to do what is right. And that is something that you can experience. I mean, isn't that good news? That you can actually desire to, to, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is such a gift. And if you have that desire, do not take that for granted. Uh, it's, a, it's a moral miracle. And so when I, when I became a Christian, um, this new thing was born inside of me, a new self. I mentioned this last week. A, a new Ben Milner was born that actually loved the law. A part of me, and it was kind of a small part, but this was the, this was the real me now. The real me was on the side of the law and the fake me, the imposter, was on the other side. It's like this whole new thing had happened inside of me. And again, if, that is a, if that's who, who you are, uh, the real you loves the law. And the part of you that doesn't want to do the law is an imposter. It's like an old snakeskin that's, that's going away. So verse 20 says, if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me. And that's what's such a great news here, is Paul's identity has shifted from being opposed to God and opposed to the law, and now the real Paul, 
deepest down inside, no matter how small that is, but the real you actually loves God and loves his law. And it might be weak inside of you, but you know, especially you children um, that are learning to know what is good, if there's a part of you that really loves to do what is good, that is the Holy Spirit inside of you at work. So the Holy Spirit breaks.